Welcome to the Shovel Pass, the NFL podcast for those that need that extra hour of football talk to get them over the hump and through the week. I'm Nick Sawyer, and I'm joined weekly by a few of my closest friends, Will Sawyer, Phil Heim, and Chris Heim, as we discuss all things NFL football from the games of the week, surprises, predictions, high performers, not-so-high performers, and anything else that stands out. Thank you for checking us out, and please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. We sincerely appreciate it. Hey, fellas, how are you? Very good, and you? I'm doing fantastic. Living the dream. Philip, are you there, my friend? Yep, not right. right. Can't complain. (laughs) uh, I'm honestly just recovering still emotionally and spiritually from uh, watching Tom Brady take the field as a not patriot in Foxborough. So if uh, if I'm a little slow today, that's why I'm dwelling on the past still. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. It was an emotional night for, uh, for everyone involved. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it was great. All right, awesome. Yeah. So, week 4. Boy, this uh I mean, it feels like this every year, but the NFL season goes way too fast, doesn't it? All it's the just, time. It it flies and it feels like, I mean, we're well, not quite because now we have 17 games, but we're a quarter of the way through the season. We should yeah, know something cool. about something by now, shouldn't we? And yet I'm more confused than ever. <laughs> I yeah, I know. <laughs> I still feel like we're waiting for things to, to settle, you know? Well, we're still wait we're shaking I mean, shaking the bin and waiting for the things to the settle to the bottom and figure out kind of where teams fit and it's it's not obvious at all. I mean to be fair, and, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, but there's two divisions in the AFC that have three three and one teams and one division that has three one and three teams so even even within divisions i mean like figuring out who's on top and and who's in the middle is is far from resolved yeah yeah it could be um it's going to be entertaining to see uh how the wild card races pan out at the end of the season and how close this stays because I don't know. I mean, it's hard to see this keeping up for the rest of the season where you have three teams neck and neck in, in, you know, in that many divisions um, all the way to the end of the season. I expect to see some separation at some point where teams pull away, but you never know. I mean, we see it every year with at least one division where there's three teams trying to sneak into the playoffs and uh, you know, Who's going to be left with an empty chair when the music stops? How many seasons do we see a team go into to the last week or two of the season and they still don't know whether they're going to win the division or not even make the wild card? And there might be yeah. two teams from their division going to the wild card, but they go into the last couple of weeks and they don't even know if they're going to catch that wild card spot well that's it i feel like every season there's one division there's usually one super powered division that has three teams kind of in that in that game mode um it'd be cool to see more than that though this year it'd be cool to see to see a couple of divisions like that where you you don't know who's gonna whether you're gonna be first or out of the playoffs for sure all right 
Well, I think today maybe we just start this off with uh, some some takeaways from the weekend. What comes to mind? What did you think? This they can be big takeaways. They can be hot takes. They can be little stuff, interesting facts, fact of the week type stuff. Let's see where we go with this. Um, who wants to start? This this week was. Uh was i don't know it was tough for me like there there was i don't know that there was quite as many games that i found compelling as as last week but there were some interesting storylines um tampa bay and and the patriots will kind of get into a little bit later but uh i i was surprised at minnesota's performance this week it felt like they had maybe turned a corner, maybe gotten a little bit of mojo going last week, and then and then this week they they showed up and I don't know they didn't have the same life in them um, at all, and particularly Kirk Cousins, uh, he did not look anything like what he did a week ago. He wasn't assertive. So. I, no, I, I I don't think he was assertive. I don't think he was had the right kind of timing and zip on his balls that he had the week before. He was okay. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he, he's the donkey of the week necessarily. I mean, you might have a different opinion on that, but no, I mean, yeah. And I, 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 I know I have some thoughts on it. Don't worry. I mean, I have some thoughts on Kirk cousins this week, but uh, no, I, um, I mean, he, he only scored seven points. So there's a certain amount of like, <laughs> you WTF only scored man. seven points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. So I agree with you. Is he? He? He did not look like he looked very good last week. He did not look all that good this week. So, um, and I don't know. Do, do should I let you finish your takes before I jump in on Kirk Cousins, or just just, ah, just jump in? Let's go. All right. Um, here's my issue with Kirk Cousins. He got me pretty worked up this weekend. I'll try. I don't. I don't know how uh, how much restraint I should show right now, but I have had a couple of days to digest it. So, um, look, his stats are not very good. His stats are are very pedestrian. Um, so I agree with you, Will. He wasn't he wasn't super Kirk Cousins like last week. He was dink and dunk Kirk Cousins this week. He went twenty for thirty eight for two hundred and three yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Do the math on that. 20 for 38 sucks. <laughs> that's my math. <laughs> 203 yards. That sucks. Like just over five yards per attempt. So there you go, Mr. Dink and Dunk. The problem I had mostly with Kirk Cousins is that there was a chance for Minnesota at the end of the game. It wasn't a good one, but there was an opportunity. They didn't have a whole lot of time left. He was trying to get them in, into field goal or not. Uh, he was not, sorry. He was trying to get them in range of a couple of shots at the end zone uh, for a potential tie. And look, I'm not going to go through every play of the drive, but basically what it comes down to for me is that with eight seconds left, they were around the 40-yard line, the Cleveland's 40-yard line, I should say. And zero timeouts and he drops back and he throws a three yard out to the flats 
and the guy runs out of bounds. He burns five seconds to gain three yards instead of taking a shot at the end zone. I don't know what he was thinking. I, I don't think he was thinking. Like his his game awareness at the end of the game was atrocious. And then for the last play of the game, you're inside the 40 and you have to throw it to the end zone. I don't know whether this is like the most the, the, the most natural of Hail Marys. I mean, this isn't Aaron Rodgers throwing it, heaving it 60 yards from beyond half. But he had to get it to the end zone. He rolls out. He takes his time. He gives his guys an opportunity to get to the end zone. And then he throws a rope and drops it off the ground a yard inside the end zone. Like nowhere near any of his guys. The defenders couldn't even pick it off. It wasn't even close enough to them. They're sitting at the back of the end zone waiting for this this heave-ho, and he, and he throws this rope and puts it into the dirt. Like, why would you throw it into the dirt? Throw it up. Hail Marys are supposed to be level four passes. I, I had a coach who used to talk about, when you're throwing a pass as a quarterback, he used to talk about it in terms of level one throws are straight to the receiver with zip. Level two throws are intermediate throws, kind of, you know, intermediate throws across the middle or like with, with you know, minimal arc, but a little bit. The type of throw you throw to put over the over linebackers. The line. Yeah, over the linebackers and, and drop it in inside, you know, before the safeties. And then level three throws are the ones where you're, you're heaving it deep. You're letting the guy run under it. He only broke it down into level one, two, or three. I'm going to add a category and say, Hail Marys need to be level four. You're throwing it as high as you can so that it's a jump ball and you give your guys time to run under it and, and get ready for it. You want this it to was come a down level, like a punt. Right. That, this was a level two what throw. It is. Yeah. This was a level two throw. This, this got over the linebackers and then dropped into the dirt. Like nobody expected it. Anyways, I, I'm going to cut this. This is getting a little bit too long-winded. But basically, my problem with Kirk Cousins is and this goes back to our conversation from a couple of episodes ago, is that we didn't believe he was the guy who could win games, tight games, um, where you have to drive the field at the end of the game and be clutch and take some chances and, and you know make some real big-time throws. Watching him on the weekend, it didn't look like he even knows how to take a chance. Like, the game's on the line. You have to take a chance. You've got to try and make something happen and fit it into a, a very tight window or take a risk where it might get picked off and he's just incapable. It, it, it's, it's terribly frustrating. And as much as his stats are pretty good, you know, if you look at the end of the season, he's going to have good stats. He's going to take care of the ball. He's going to throw a decent number of touchdowns. He's not going to throw that many picks. He's going to have a good number of yards. His completion percentage is going to be fairly high. Everything's going to on on paper is going to say this guy deserves to be paid near the top of the quarterback group position group in the NFL. But when he does things like this at the end of the game when there's a chance to tie and go to overtime and he's not even in the realm of it, it doesn't even look like he's trying. It doesn't look like he's capable. Then what's the point? Like, this guy is not going to win you a Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, after the weekend, I was feeling very over with Kirk Cousins. I've defended him in the past, but it was it was just absent of any game awareness. So, there, rant over. And that's it. Like, your big 
job as a quarterback is not just to light up the field with personal stats. It's to put your team in a position to win. And I mean, you could argue that's the role of every player on the team, but particularly the quarterback, you play such a central role for all the guys around you. You have to put your team in a position to win. And if you don't put the ball up and let your receivers go and high point it, then you've, you've negated them. You've nullified them from the game. They are incapable of helping the team. So you've just taken players off the field effectively. That's it. It's not like he even just threw a pass with no arc that, that, you know, got to his receivers. It didn't even get to his receivers. It just went into the ground. Come on, dude. (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to start cursing if we keep going like this. So, uh, (laughs) let's move on. Well, I got a new topic for you. How about this one instead? How about this one instead? Is Urban Meyer the least impressive rookie head coach we've had since Bobby Petrino? No. uh, College? No. Really? What what about college (laughs) to NFL head coach? No. That's a narrow parameter. Since Bobby Petrino, who who is worse than Urban Meyer has been? Let's just recap quickly. Um, and also why I think Urban Meyer's Ohio bar incident is his version <laughs> of the neck brace coming out. <laughs> Very much the same. <laughs> oh, come on. He's not Bobby Petrino. He's not Bobby Petrino yet because he hasn't quit for uh, He hasn't gone back to NCAA yet. So he's not Bobby Petrino yet. But I'm saying like as far as least impressive rookie head coaches go, especially after being a Ballyhoo kind of, you know, successful college coach, right? Like, Nick Saban was successful. He couldn't cut him in the NFL either. Went back to Nick Saban was pretty league. bad in the NFL. But that's what I'm saying. Like I think this is really kind of Steve the, the <laughs> like man. I just look at Urban Meyer. It's just like or and how he's got the Jaguars not really uh, ready to win in a sense. Like the Bengals game kind of came the closest to them. I think when they're really um, when they came closest to winning. I guess in a sense. But like I just man, it's just they don't seem prepared in general. Like it's just I don't see how he has their confidence anymore. He even put out a statement today saying he's got to earn their trust back. And I'm like, yeah, you definitely do. But it's like, dude, I don't see how, if I'm a player in Jacksonville, like I'm excited to be playing for Urban Meyer right now. I might be excited to play with Trevor Lawrence, sure, but maybe not. Like if I'm a veteran, why would I stick around if we have Urban Meyer as a head coach? And my, you know, Well, let's see. Let's see. I, I mean, okay, so I'll just say this. Sorry, I'm I'm jumping in. I'm getting a little antsy there. Sorry. Phil. No, go ahead. <laughs> Jump away. I, it's four games. It's only four games. You need to give him more than four games. We'll see how it looks by the end of the season. If he goes winless and they don't even look like they're getting better, that's the issue. But if they're steadily improving, then I, I don't I don't think we can make this judgment after four games. So the worst rookie head coach since Bobby Petrino, I think, is is pretty harsh. Worst there's been play to to NFL head coach. Let's put there's it that been way. several that have been that pretty bad. Hmm. Um, yeah, and Will, you mentioned Spurrier and and You're Nick Saban. Chip Kelly. <clears throat> Nick Saban wasn't very good. Chip Kelly started off really hot, but even back he then, did. Like, God damn, this guy is too. Uh, he's too cocksure to be any fucking good at this coaching gig. So <laughs> yeah, but come on. Relax, Phil. You can't be too good and too confident. Chip Kelly started reasonably strong. Uh, I think he turned out to be one of the worst college to pro coaches, yeah. uh, but but not the first season because he was ten and six the first season, and it looked reasonable. Um, 
coming off of that. But anyways, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, my point coming out of this weekend was regardless of anything else, they picked Urban Meyer to man the ship with the first season with Trevor Lawrence. And unless you are convinced that he is a ruining Trevor Lawrence or B Trevor Lawrence is unhappy with him. I don't think they fire urban Meyer. Yeah. I, I, don't uh, I think, I think that's their decision right there. If Lawrence likes him and Lawrence looks like he's progressing, they will give him a second year to sort things out. Oh, that's and I know where you're going to go with this, Phil. He's not going to USC. <laughs> that's it's not will they fire him it's will he stick around no he's that's not going to go to out. USC not necessarily USC but you know I don't think USC will take him then. yeah but you see how how well he does with the, <laughs> the Ohio bars so maybe he gets a gig back there or something but we'll see maybe I don't know yeah I mean <laughs> what, what a disaster though let's just say that the Urban Meyer incident is a really bad look especially because they're 0-4 Yes. Now, what I will say about Thursday night is I was impressed with Thursday night. The first three games looked like they were unprepared. They did not know which way was up. They were not getting better, and they were. Com- he was in over his head. Thursday night looked like he came out with a plan. He changed the game plan. His play calling played to Trevor Lawrence's strengths. I thought Trevor Lawrence looked good and much more comfortable. He made some nice throws. They used his legs properly. They, they managed the game plan so that Trevor Lawrence didn't feel like he had to do everything and carry the team to victory. Um, and actually, this is we're just kind of going around the table here, but this is one of my takeaways was I was trying to figure out on Thursday night whether Cincinnati is a good team, like whether they're a princess or a pumpkin. Like, are they a good team or are they pretending and they're going to turn back into a pumpkin at some point because they looked good. They looked good on Thursday night. They were playing the Jags. So take that with a grain of salt, but they have beat the Steelers. But again, we don't know how good the Steelers are. So I can't tell after four games, whether Cincinnati is a, is a good team or whether they're just propped up by some fortuitous, uh, you know, turns and catching teams at a bad on a bad week or teams that we thought were good or not very good and Cincinnati beat them. I don't know. I'm not really sure what to make of them. For me, I I find they are maybe a bit of a similar comparison to the Panthers. I thought the Panthers were uh, one of the worst three and O teams to make it to three and O in a long time. But they showed up and they actually competed with the Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys beat them and and not insignificantly, um, but they showed up and they actually made a game of it, out of it. The Cowboys had to play four quarters to beat them. I feel like the Bengals are that kind of team that uh, even the strong teams in the league can't sleep on a game yeah. with them. Um, whether they're good enough to beat the best teams in the league, especially as it comes down to the end of the season and playoff race and everything, I don't think so. They might get there, but I don't think they're they're at that level yet. But they're dangerous enough that nobody can sleep on them. I think the best way to put it, Will, is that like if you were to draw the Bengals 
as your wild card opening kind of game, you probably would not want that draw. You wouldn't want that seeding. So that's the way I look at it too, because it's like Joe Burrow, I think, has been playing excellent in his uh, in his season back from his ACL tear. So I'm really excited to see if he can keep it sustainable. I think, Will, you mentioned the parallels of the Panthers, obviously, and I, there is something there for sure. But uh, I think the difference there really is like how much do you trust Burrow over Darnold? And obviously I trust him a whole lot more. So to me, it's like if the, if the Panthers, for instance, snuck their way into the playoffs, I'd much more expect them to make a whimper than a, than make a roar than roar when they're in there. But if the Bengals did the same, then they, you know, I think they could actually have a much better chance of potentially winning a game, maybe doing ups on the road kind of thing. So yeah, definitely kind of depends on how high you are on Burrow. And for me, it's, I think his ceiling is he's still, I guess, ascending towards it. So I think he's poised for maybe a Josh Allen type kind of breakout. Maybe not this year, might be a little too premature coming back from uh, ACL tear, but that does seem what would like to me, at least what we're looking at with Joe Burrow. So I'm excited to see if that trend is sustainable over the last three quarters of the season. But thus far, he's not giving me in his first five starts of rookie year too. He's got he's gonna give me anything to show me anything to, to prove otherwise. So that's not yeah. No, I I agree with you. I like both those takes. I think uh, I think I'm with you on the the Bengals being a, a tough fight for for any team this season. Um, Burrow has looked really good. I think I think you're right. He is ascending. I don't want to crown him just yet, but he's looked very good. And he had a 132.8 passer rating this week. Ridiculous. Oh, he was spectacular on Thursday. Now, <laughs> again, he was playing the Jags. So let's just, yes. there's the asterisk. It's the qualifier for everything we say about him this week. But um, yeah, he looked very good. He was exceptional. And, and the throws he was making, I mean, you can still take something from that game, even if he's playing a bad team and say, yeah, but he's making big time throws. He's getting through multiple reads. He's ball placement when he throws a pass to the, you know, from, from the opposite hash to the sidelines, the opposite sidelines. And he's driving the ball and it's right where it needs to be. Like those are the types of things that you can still take from a game like that and be impressed. And yeah, he did all that. So I think he is, I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. Uh, the other last little thing I'll say about the, the Bengals is uh, I like their receiving core. They look, yep. they look really good uh, and they're underrated. Space is legit. That's a legit connection. I can see why, like I remember, the, remember uh, leading up to the draft, everyone's kind of stumping for, Burrow to even make a public push to get an offensive lineman and not kind of push to get his teammate from uh, LSU's running mate, Jamar Chase, and holy, is that paying off well. Are they? I'm sure the Bengals brass is happy to listen to Joe Burrow over there with getting Jamar Chase because he's been pretty phenomenal. I think, in my opinion, he's like the clear rookie of the year thus far. Four touchdowns already. I think three of them might have been 30-plus uh, yarders anyway. So he's really, really taking the, the, the top off defenses and really opening up a lot for the rest of the He team. looks really yeah. polished, though. Like he's L- He looks really polished. He looks... Yeah savvy he looks like a veteran out there running routes and, and getting he's separation elevating play, he's elevating yeah. the play of joe burrow just by being on the field but then he's also opening up so much for the other guys around him too so yeah boyd looked really good on yeah. thursday as well he boyd did. was finding some some good space to to contribute so all right um all right let's let's keep going phil what what's you know give us one of your takeaways from the weekend uh, beyond that, honestly, I'm trying to see uh, if, if what trends are sustainable, right? Like, that's what I'm looking at, number one. And for me, the thing that I'm most kind of captivated on is, is this Cowboys defense legit? I think that's the takeaway I'm having now is because they've been playing a lot better this year. I've been looking at NFL stats, and they, they, they mentioned that the, the Cowboys have uh, averaged through the first four games of the season 12 points per game fewer than they did last year. 
right? So, and but the the offense has scored the exact same 126 points. So clearly, the defense is the difference, and I'm wondering why that is, and I'm wondering if that's sustainable for the rest of the season, knowing that within the past hour or so they got rid of Jalen Smith or they're announcing his release. Right? Oh, so really? Releasing yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. If yeah, damn, uh, he's going to be released as of uh, Wednesday morning. So Wednesday, oh my uh, goodness, six whenever this comes out. So oh, uh, poor yeah. guy, poor guy. I mean, Honestly, I, I feel like for Jaylen him. Smith. I do too. I hope the Patriots pick him up, but. It, they haven't. He's been the odd man out in Dallas, clearly. And Trayvon Diggs on that defense is a star, a certified star. But to me, it's like, is that trend sustainable? Like, what happens now? Because Micah Parsons has had some success on the edge. Obviously, he's going to move back to the middle linebacker. It's a linebacker. You're getting Demarcus Lawrence back in the next few weeks. Like, is this performance sustainable under Dan Quinn? And how is this defense going to kind of evolve and strengthen over time? I, well, that's I a good question. In a I have a question. Yeah, I think that this defense can really make help them make the difference. But yeah, go on there. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I like the thing I've been most impressed with about the Cowboys is uh, the takeaways, the the opportunistic takeaways and capitalizing on those mistakes. And and yeah, Diggs, you mentioned Diggs. Diggs has been awesome. Um, he's scary. Like he's he's, he's one of the front runners for defensive player of the year through. Be. This number of weeks, he's got five interceptions, which is crazy. It's four insane. games, and he's got five interceptions. Like this guy has hands, and he's got instincts, and he jumps routes. It's it's yeah, he's been huge for the Cowboys because that has been the one thing. If you had to say about the Cowboys defense over the last, I don't know, decade maybe, like what's the problem with the Cowboys defense? They're secondary, and they've tried a few times to fix it, and they've drafted guys high and it hasn't ever really panned out. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed Diggs keeps this up because he's a, a pleasure to watch. He's a delight. <laughs> yeah, him him, and I've mentioned him in a previous uh, week, uh, Darren Curse. To me, those guys both have a really good energy. And, and bring in Micah Parsons, too. Like, there, there's an energy with the Cowboys' defense this year that there hasn't been in years. They have fight. They have excitement to them on the field. Rather than, I always felt like in previous years, they played with the strategy of bend, don't break, except they more often broke than bent. <laughs> um, Sean Lee. <clears throat> but there wasn't this fight. There wasn't this like aggressiveness. Whereas you see them with a swagger out there this year, and they are—they're nasty a little bit. They're going for hits and trying to knock the ball out and roughing guys up and manhandling them. And this is not the kind of attitude that I've seen for Cowboys defense in a number of years. So that's exciting, and I think they're trending in the right direction. I think they keep it going the rest of the year, barring any significant injuries. Um, The one kind of caveat to all of that is that they have not been a shutdown defense in spite of the fact that they've been opportunistic and they've got some interceptions and some sacks and they've been doing some really good things. They have not given up an insignificant number of points. So they are winning because the offense is scoring a lot of points. What happens when they come up against a really good defense or when the offense just has an off week? Like 28 points, you can lose a game pretty easily. 
and the Cowboys gave up 28 points to the Panthers this week. What happens when they're up against a really good defense? Yeah, all good points. So I think that that circles back nicely to what Phil was saying. Just the question, is it sustainable? It's it's even more appropriate to ask that question because they're not just shutting teams down. They're not scheming and shutting teams down. They're taking the ball away, and that's really their... And, and how much of that, like, them giving up a lot of points is due to the fact that, like, other teams have to keep up with them offensively, right? Like, you are going to open up the playbook. You are going to take more deep shots because Dallas certainly is averaging 31.5 points a game. Like, Dak is, again, playing out of his entire mind, except this year, more than any in the past, even his hot start last year, he looks like he knows exactly where to go with the football in every single play. And he's got enough talent around him that wherever he goes with the ball is not a bad idea. Right. So when you're, and, and granted, like they are, I do like that I'm seeing them try to reestablish the running game the past few weeks. I like that they're feeding Zeke a little bit yeah. more. He's kind of busting his butt off the couch. Maybe now that he's realizing that Tony Pollard is in danger of putting him back on it kind of indefinitely. But uh, that's kind of what uh, we're looking at there. But yeah, definitely as far as the takeaways, like you said, Nick, that's a great point. Like so that's the, the key of a sustainably great defense is can you consistently get takeaways week in, week out? And obviously, four weeks of the season, who knows? Trayvon Diggs, maybe. Maybe these are all the interceptions you're going to get all season long. Hey, like, it's hard to pick off NFL quarterbacks. It's hard to get that many balls thrown your way, especially when you get shut down cover status. So we'll see if it's sustainable, but definitely a trend to keep in mind. 